guys. Good morning. Uh, it is a beautiful morning outside. We're glad that you're joining us in the room. We're glad everyone who's joining us out on the patio or out wherever you're watching. Um, as uh, we are in week two of our gratitude intervention series, we're going to be taking a look at how we can be grateful. So this morning I want to start with a question that um, is maybe a bit of a difficult question, or at least it's a question that uh, I, I think I know the answer to right away, but the more I ponder on it, um, maybe I don't know the answer as much as I would like to admit. And that question is this, are you driven more by greed or by gratitude? As we're pausing and looking at gratitude, and just in the context of that, I think, are you driven more by greed or gratitude? I'll tell you, for me, I would say I'm not a greedy person or at least who I picture a greedy person to be. So I say, I am driven more by gratitude. I have a lot to be thankful for. I'm driven more by gratitude than greed. But let me define these things a little bit. Maybe, gra- maybe greed, instead of it being just that nasty, old, ridiculous person that uh, just wants more, 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 but has a ton, has a lot more than me, and still wants more, that's not what we're lo- looking at. Instead, I'm looking at someone who just focuses more on what you don't have than what you do have on that one more thing that you would want than what you already have. And the gratitude, I would define that as someone who actually focused more on what you do have versus what you don't have. Cameron, is there there some feedback? Is there anything you can do to tighten that up? I don't know what that is. Um, You don't hear it? it, Okay. I'm kind of greedy. I'm focused on the non-greed that I want, on the non-feedback that I'm hoping for. Uh, If it's not bothering you, then starting right now, it won't bother me. Okay, here we go. Uh, are you driven more by greed or gratitude? And, and, and so this kind of all came into perspective a little bit earlier this week. You know, we're kind of easing into the Christmas season. You know, I try to slow it down. But the, the mailers are out. The commercials are out. So my kids are running into it. And I had a conversation with one of my daughters this week where she runs up. She shows me this magazine, you know, an advertisement that came in the mail. And she said, Dad, look at this. There's this art easel thing. She's like, Dad, I need this for Christmas because I'm a really good artist, and I need this. And I was like, you are a really good artist, but the only thing I'm thinking in my head is like, our dining room table that is built to seat all of us, we can't sit down because you have your art stuff all over the place. The last thing we need is another piece of art equipment. So I, I, I'd say, okay, you know, you are a really good artist. But you don't really need this. I mean, we have so much stuff to make art. You just need to sit down, and you can, you can draw all over you know, the table, whatever it is. You don't really need that. But I understand where you're coming from, because sometimes I think I really need something, but I actually already have what I need. And as I'm saying this, I, you know, I'm you know, being a good dad. Like I'm coming up with things she can relate to. So just real quickly, I, go, I pivot my head, and I'm barbecuing, right? So I'm, I'm prepping the meat. And while she's talking to me, so I just pivot to like, oh, here's a good example. Um, you know how last year I, I had a bunch of barbecues, and I, and I always wanted that one more barbecue. That's like the, the tension in our household. When I find a great barbecue, and Nikki's like, you don't need another barbecue. And I'm from my daughter's perspective like, yeah, I'm a really good barbecuer. Yes, I do. <laughs> they, they actually built that for me. And so I'm giving her this example, and I was like, you know, it, it's, it's kind of like last year where I really wanted that other barbecue, but I already had enough barbecues, and today, like, I don't need another barbecue, because I have a barbecue out in the backyard, and we're going to use that. You see, you see how this works? And she says, oh, yeah, like that time when you really wanted another barbecue of the same one, but you already had two of them, 
And mommy said you didn't need it. You needed to actually use the ones you had. And I was like, yes. But that's the example I want to think of. Because it's like, I would never, I wouldn't, never, I wouldn't naturally think of myself as a greedy person. Yet when it comes to something like that, I wouldn't look at it as a greed. I'd look at it as like a great opportunity because I'm a great barbecuer. <laughs> and as we look at this passage today, as we wrestle with this question, where do we come from? Are we coming from a place of greed or are we coming from a place of gratitude? I want us to think of things either, are we focused on things we don't have or are we focused on things that we actually do have? Um, I, I like this question, are we grateful for what you have or are we bothered by what we are lacking? Are we bothered that maybe somebody else has that? Are we maybe thinking, man, I want that just because that other person has. I want to keep up with them. I want to be more like that. I love, I'm super content with my job, but I want that other thing. If it's a goal, if it's something you're, you're aspiring towards, that's not a problem but are we bothered by it? Are we more focused on what we don't have or what we actually have? And I think that the real question is, is do I have enough? Do I have enough? And I think that stems from a place which is really asking the question is, am I enough? And I don't think this is just me because I think we've all, I know we all live in a world that just 24-7 is pounding us, whether it's an advertisement in the mail or, uh, or whether you're a little older and you're pounded by the advertisements on the news, on Instagram, on Facebook. I was driving to get coffee this morning and I got a thing alert on my phone. Amazon's giving me all these suggestions of things that I don't have that my life would be better if I had. We live in a world where we are constantly bombarded by if you only had this, have you seen this, what about this, we'll give you 25% off of this if you get it right now. Have you considered this? And I, I just, personally, I look at my phone and I have so many apps that I've downloaded and I knew I didn't need the apps, but I saw an average and I was like, well, maybe I'll just download the app. Maybe it is totally worth it. Maybe it is something I want. And all this is coming in place of, am I enough? And I think we've wrestled with that. And this morning we're going to look at a passage from the book of Philippians that is going to address this question head on. Are we operating from a place of greed or a place of gratitude? I want to read us through this quote real quick from, from a book called uh, What Happy People Know, and then we'll jump into the text. But this, this, this research is astounding to me. Um, Dr. Dan Baker writes, During active appreciation, and, and even as I was putting this together, uh, earlier this week, I had to stop, and I went back and did last week's big challenge, which is to write those three thank you notes, and that was incredible, just to pause and be actively appreciating the people and what God has provided and even the challenges in my life. Uh, he says, during active appreciation, Baker writes, the threatening messages from your phone, uh, I'm sorry, from your amygdala, the fear center of your brain, and the anxious instincts of your brain stem are cut off during this act of appreciation, suddenly and surely from access to your brain's neocortex, where they can fester, replicate themselves, and turn your stream of thoughts into a cold river of dread. It is a fact of neurology that the brain cannot be in a state of appreciation and a state of fear at the same time. The two states may alternate, but are mutually exclusive." 
And so when you go back to, are, are, do we operate from a place of greed or gratitude? I think we both flip-flop. I think we alternate. I think we all are to alternate. But I want to look at what is the secret to actually stay at the place or maybe default to the place or continually, intentionally choose to be from the place of gratitude and not greed. And we're going to look at this book of Philippians. We're going to look at chapter 4. I want to give a little context so before we dive in. This, this book of Philippians is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Philippi. This is, this is a short book, and, and Paul wrote a lot of letters, the epistles, and head above all the other ones, this little book is known as the joy book. This one radiates joy. Paul writes this, this is the most joyful letter he wrote, and it's written to, coincidentally, the most generous church that he interacted with, the most generous church we see in the New Testament. Multiple times did this little church stand up and give and give. They, they operated from a place of gratitude. And just one more little piece of context. Oh, yeah, this joyful letter is written from prison. So let's jump in. Chapter 4, verse 10. Uh, again, remember that appreciation thing? Paul is writing, How I praise the Lord that you are concerned about me again. I know you have always been concerned for me, but you didn't have the chance to help me. I know how to live with almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret. Did I skip something? No, no, no. Okay, I, I'm sorry. Uh, I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little, not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. And we're going to get to the secret here in just a second. But what Paul is saying here, he knows the secret, but it's not natural. It's not his default. He, I know, I have learned, there's a secret, and I have learned. Paul has to learn this, and he's practicing it. He's operating out of this. He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Even so, you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. We read this letter, and it's full of joy, and it's full of optimism, and it's full of thankfulness. And it's not till here where he mentions you have done well to share with me in my present difficulty. It, it comes to the end of chapter 4 when he mentions, oh yeah, I'm coming from a place of difficulty. And the secret isn't, I don't think the secret is this verse, Philippians 4.13, that sometimes we memorize and we think and we misuse and we put on our bumper sticker and we post that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I don't think it's a secret because I don't even know what necessarily how to do that. We're going to get to the secret here in a second, but this is a decision. He says, I have learned, for I can. This is a decision that Paul super intentionally made time and time again. And throughout this whole letter, he's writing from a decision. We look at how he writes in verse 10. He says, how I praise the Lord that you're concerned with me again. Instead of, why are you guys leaving me here in prison? I hope it's nice out there. I'm in prison. He is choosing. He's making this decision, this intentional decision. He goes on to say, as you know, you Philippians were the only ones who gave me financial help when I first brought you the good news and then traveled on from Macedonia. No other church did this. And again, default, if he's focusing on what he doesn't have, on the freedom of this church who's still doing what they're doing and he's locked up, he is not focusing on that. He's saying, Thank you. You guys were the only ones that cared. He's thinking about them. He goes on to say, even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent help 
more than once. I don't say this because I want a gift from you because you've been so generous multiple times, but rather I want you to receive a reward for your kindness. He is reminding, he's saying, I want you to receive your heavenly reward for your generosity. I am behind bars, yet I'm focused on you and you receiving your reward. I'm so for you. I'm excited for you. He's choosing, he's making an intentional decision to operate from a place of gratitude, thanking them for what they've done, and he's choosing to be focused for them instead of, oh, woe is me. Hey, I remember y'all are the ones that always kind of give, give, give. Um, you think he could send another gift? He is choosing to be for them. This morning, we're going to have the opportunity to fill out our front row cards again. And at Journey, one of our core beliefs is that we're all on mission, not to go out and change the whole world by us individually sharing the good news with everybody, but being focused on the front row, the people that God has supernaturally and strategically placed in the front row seats of your life. If this is my life, a lot of people may be watching, some people may be following me at a distance, but there are some people who are in the front row seats who are truly going to actually see what I say and not just hear what I do, or not just hear what I say. They're going to watch what I do, and we at Journey want to be so intentional with the people in our front row seats who we deal with on a regular basis, who actually see us behind closed doors, who see us under stress, who interact with us the most who aren't just following us on Twitter or seeing what we post, but they're actually seeing that the majority of the time our kids are a mess, our life is crazy. And we want to be intentional by naming those people and then praying for those people so that we can influence those people with the gospel. And I think there's something so powerful here that Paul is doing as a demonstration that we can intentionally adopt. And as he did right here is he is showing this church who they are very much on his front row. They're listening to him. They're in communication with him. He is demonstrating that there's not something I want from you, but I am so for you, and I'm so thankful because of what you have done, and so much so that I want you to have those heavenly rewards because of your generosity. I'm not asking you for more, but I'm just pausing to say, man, I hope that you get that in heaven. So much, uh, there's so much goodness that can come from this, And when we fill out our front row cards for us to be intentional, how are we demonstrating that we're for those people in our front row instead of just, yeah, those are the people around me the most. How do I get something from them? This is where I think the secret comes from. Earlier on in this passage, chapter 4, he's writing to them and he says, do not be anxious about anything. Not, Not super helpful, but thank you. I mean, maybe has that ever helped you? Uh, but in every situation, and again, context, he's behind bars, he's in prison, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. I think this is the secret to his contentness, to his gratefulness, that he's writing, he is He is the one behind bars, and he is so thankful. And you read this letter, and you're like, that's a letter full of joy, full of faith, full of hope. And he has this attitude of gratitude, this thankfulness. Going back to this quote, it's a fact of neurology that the brain cannot be in a state of appreciation and a state of fear at the same time. The two states may alternate 
but are mutually exclusive. Are we operating from a place of greed or are we operating from a place of gratitude? And he is very thankful in this time. And another piece of context for you, back in these days when you got put in jail, when you were thrown into prison, it wasn't, you know, uh, what do they say, three, uh, three hots in a cot? It, it, it's not, they didn't provide for you. If you were thrown in jail, you were thrown in the dungeon and it was up to your people to care for you. And we see in chapter 2 where he talks about Epaphroditus, he thanks this church, this generous church, for sending one of their own to bring this gift, to bring this guy to come and to encourage him and to provide for him. And it says in chapter 2, he almost lost his life in the making, in the travel, staying with him in prison. He almost lost his life, this guy that the church sent. And so he is not just saying this willy-nilly, I'm, everything's rainbows and butterflies, I'm not aware he is saying this from a deep, deep place in his heart. He's functioning from this place of gratitude because he knows that he was locked in prison, isolated, yet this little church sent one of their members with a generous gift to care for his needs and to forward the gospel. He's saying this from a deep place of gratitude. And because he's operating from that place, as we read in that quote, he doesn't have the fear thing going on in his mind because he's so in the stream of thankfulness and gratitude. And as much as Paul was in prison and he needed to rely on this church to send somebody to care for him, each one of us are in our own prison. On our own, we have failed. On our own, we have disqualified ourselves from having that eternal life in heaven because of greed, selfish ambition, because I'm really good at this. This is really important to me. We have all fallen short, and it's, it doesn't feel good to say that I'm greedy but it feels pretty honest for me to say that oftentimes I'm influenced and I operate from a position of fear that maybe of what I don't have or awareness of what I'm lacking than a place of gratitude for what I do have. And as believers, as Paul was cared for, as believers, we come from a place that should be of gratitude because we were all headed to hell because of our decisions. And God so loved us, he sent Jesus to come and die on the cross, paid the ultimate cost. They say, Epaphroditus almost died. Jesus did die, willingly die. He got beaten. He surrendered himself to that for you, for me, to redeem us, to fully forgive us and give us freedom and give us a new life. And a journey, we talk about this. This is such a reminder. We have the opportunity to admit that we're not better than we think we are. We're actually worse than we think we are. But the good news is that Jesus died for us. We can believe that. And we can choose to follow him with our whole life. And what I usually do on the backside, then I pivot between, I toggle back and forth between grateful, greedy, grateful, greedy. And this opportunity that Paul is reminding you of, reminding me of, is the opportunity to operate from a place of gratitude because of what Jesus has done for our life. And when we do that, and when Paul does this in the whole, throughout all of Philippians, there's no room for fear to leak through. We don't see a lot about his fears, about his anxieties. And he was in a much worse place than you and me. And we have that same reminder. 
because of what Jesus has done. These last two verses uh, in this passage demonstrate how he was truly operating from this place of gratitude. He says, at the moment, I have all that I need and more. I am generously supplied with the gifts you sent me with Epaphroditus. They're a sweet-smelling sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, all glory to God, our Father, forever and ever. Amen. And this time, God, who takes care of me, will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Paul is writing this in prison. He was sent a messenger with some goods, and he says, I have all that I need for today and more. And he's operating from a place that God has got this. God is so good. All glory to him. And I live in a place that's the furthest thing from prison. I am so ridiculously blessed as I was writing down those thank you notes this week. And I was, I don't know if this is good, bad, or indifferent, but I was writing down like to measure how grateful, how thankful I am towards God. And as I was doing that, I realized the things that he has done for me are completely immeasurable. How can I say how grateful I am for certain things? I don't even know how grateful. I couldn't, he is so good. He provides things for, for me in ways that are absolutely immeasurable. I could not thank him enough. I, wouldn't, I don't even know how to. And to be married to my best friend, to have eight kids who just radiate joy in our household, to have warm place to sleep, to have plenty of food. I'm literally living my dream job. I might get fired next week, but right now, I am leaving my dream job. Elk Grove is an absolutely amazing place to live. Starbucks coffee is pretty delicious. <laughs> and if it's not, there's a couple pizzas in town. Like, there is so, so much that I can get stuck in measuring this, and then I think, oh, wait. And this is all the temporary stuff. This is the stuff that I measure to see, am I enough? Do I have enough? When the reality, the biggest question is, is am I enough? And the answer to that question is no, because you've fallen short. But Jesus came to redeem you. That is the greatest gift. We are free of whatever the crap is that you are always hiding from, dragging behind you, wanting to separate yourself from, hoping people do not find out, maybe flexing about some area of your life so that's not, people aren't aware of that. The failures you've tried to cover up, Jesus knows each and every single one of those and he has forgiven you and redeemed you and forgiven you from that. And now we have this choice. Do we operate from that place of gratitude or do we continue to toggle back between greed and gratitude, greed and gratitude? What do I not have? Oh yeah, I also have this. Let's encourage each other this week to operate from a place of gratitude. The big challenge is to make a purposeful decision, as Paul did, to be content. 
Remember, the secret there was in thankfulness. Put into practice. In verse 9, he says, I've learned, I've learned, I've learned. As you're learning from me, he says, put into practice. He doesn't expect you to be amazing at this. I think our default's still going to be there, but to be intentional, to put into practice the choice to choose to be content, to be gratitude, and then share, this is where it gets a little tricky, share a story of greed to gratitude with someone in your front row. We're going to fill those cards out in a couple minutes. You guys are going to be in discussion groups this week. It takes a little bit of humility. It takes a lot of humility to maybe reach out and say, hey, I'm in prison. I need some help. It takes a little bit or a lot of humility to say, look, I operate from a place of greed. And this is my transformation to say, man, why was I so focused on what I'm lacking instead of I really want to be uh, just super grateful for what I have, for what Jesus has done in my life. Let's pray.